Welcome to Fragmented, a software developer podcast where we talk about building good software and becoming better developers. My name's Don Felker. And I'm Kaushik Gopal. Welcome to the show. Hey, before we get going, I wanted to let you all know that Kaushik and I are now putting out videos on YouTube. So be sure to check us out on YouTube. I'm talking about anything that's software development related, also introducing anything that's freelancing related. So if you want to become a freelancer and you're a software developer, I'm the channel for you because I'll be talking about both topics. So anything from billing your clients, how much you should bill, how you can find clients, all the way down into technology itself. You know, should you be choosing Ruby on Rails or Node or Android or what do I think about Flutter or anything like that? I talk about all those topics. You can find my channel at donfelker.com slash YouTube. Again, that's donfelker.com slash YouTube. Now, Kaushik is just getting going with his YouTube endeavor, and he'll be talking about hardware, software, tech topics, uh, programming, you name it. There's all kinds of stuff he's going to be chatting about as well. And you want to check out his channel at y.jkl.gg. Again, that's y.jkl.gg. We'll put both of these links into the show notes so you can just click on the show notes and navigate over to our channels. And we hope to see you over there and hope you get something out of it. With that, let's get to the show. And we're back after a nice little extended vacation. Kaushik, how are you doing, man? I am doing good. It's good to hear your voice again. I, I feel energetic and I can almost sense the energy in your voice. Yeah, it feels good. I, I looked at my calendar this morning. I was like, oh, today's the day we're hopping back on a call. So it's uh, exciting. And I, I want to see what you've been up to. And, you know, we'll uh, just kind of go back and forth. And when I know we want to talk about some of the uh, things we've talked about on Twitter, actually, kind of back and forth with some theming and stuff like that for IDE. So we got a bunch of stuff to talk about. And uh, yeah. So how have you been? I've been good. And yeah, like you said, I think. And we mentioned this in previous episodes, but Don and I keep chatting nonstop about like different things. And we almost wanted to call this sort of like the reset slash reunion show because there's so much to talk about that we ourselves needed to sync on. And we figured, hey, why not just do it as an episode? There's also a lot of exciting episodes coming up that we've talked about. And, you know, we are trying to get some of these guests super interesting, uh, not what you might expect, but also, you know, in the same realm of a lot of interesting things. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. Tons of software stuff going on. I know that there's a, a couple of guys I haven't even talked to you about that I want to bring on. Like, for example, one of them is, a uh, is actually a, a listener that we had for years who used our podcast to help get him out of one career, completely different career, not even related to software. And he just wanted to get into software and see if he, he liked Android, he liked mobile. And he started listening to our podcast and just started learning and using our podcast as a way to figure out what to dive into. And now, and for the last you know few years, he's had a full-time job as an Android developer doing very well for himself. And he's just, it's a great story. So um, I want to bring him on and have him tell a story. So if people are thinking about changing careers or, hey, they're doing something different, like it's always a possibility. Many people do it. Yeah. I'm going to get a little touchy-feely here, Don. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, hearing stories like that is exactly why we keep doing this, right? Uh, there have been multiple moments. And, you know, I think we've talked about this in previous episodes where, especially like post-pandemic, both of us were just burnt out and we needed we needed that gap. And uh, I, I feel like that gap served us well. But also probably the biggest reason that we come back is all like the feedback we get from listeners about 
how like the podcast has helped them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like the monetization aspect has never like interested us as much, you know, um, uh, not to say that we didn't do like ads in the past, but the thing that keeps bringing us back again here is just hearing those stories, right? It's just, it's just heartwarming that we could, you know, we don't even expect it to be like, you know, to have the kind of effect that it does. Um, but we're honored and, you know, this is the reason we want to keep doing this. Yeah. So we we started this podcast because we wanted the podcast that we would listen to in regards to Android at the time. And, and we are more general software now, but it's still to this day, you will get, you and I will both get random tweets or mentions about the podcast or something on Instagram. And, uh, and, and probably more often than not, what I end up getting is actually DMs and because people just want to say thank you. And like, they write a huge long wall of text and just like, you know, you've really changed, uh, you know, my life. And, uh, so it's, this was never our intention, but the fact that it had that much impact is, uh, we're very grateful and, uh, we just want to keep, keep giving back because it's just what we enjoy doing. Absolutely. So All right, what have Dan. you been up to, man? Yeah. Well, so I, there are two things. Like, you know me, and I always bore your ear. <laughs> I eat your ear about this every single time, and it's about setups, right? So I want to spend some time about, and I, I sort of like sneaked that into, I know you wanted to know what I've been up to, and I'll definitely get to that. But I also want to talk to you about what I've been up to from the setup side. because That like sounds some, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, Themes. Let's talk about themes. So this came up. I think you mentioned this on Twitter. Maybe you should kick it off and say like what you were looking for, like because you, you started wanting something with the material theme. I remember, but yeah, kick yeah. it off. Yeah, yeah. So I'm glad you bring this up. Is I and this actually it comes full circle actually because you're the one who showed me the night owl theme originally, <laughs> and I think I VS Code. Yeah, and yeah. I was doing a lot of work in VS Code with like JavaScript and TypeScript for a while, and I remember loving that theme and I just fell in love with it. And then eventually inside of IntelliJ, Android Studio, whatever one you're using, you could install the material uh, theme package and they had a sub child theme of Night Owl. I have been using that for years as my default go-to. And then finally, I just kind of just, I asked a question a few months ago about like what theme is everyone using just to kind of spark some conversation and a lot of people were like hey i'm using dracula and i'm using this one i'm using that one and i tried this dracula one it just didn't didn't work for me i was like something was off but i liked the scheme a little bit but i kept always going back to night owl and then but i wanted to try something different i just felt like i was getting stagnant in the ide i mean it's something that i stare at you stare at for eight twelve hours a day like i want it to be pleasant and it is, but I felt there was something better. And so I kind of put that tweet out there and you replied back and you're like, hey, check out this, you know, I think it was Monokai, Monokai Pro. I might be saying it wrong. And um, it was, you know, and Monokai Pro is a paid theme for, I think, Atom and VS Code. Um, but I'm in, you know, I'm IntelliJ, WebStorm, RubyMine, all that kind of stuff. And then I ended up finding there was one inside of the plugin section of IntelliJ, Monokai Pro, and uh, I installed it. and. Oh my goodness. Like I've been, I changed all of my themes over to it everywhere. And then I liked it so much that I only randomly use VS code now for like just viewing files or just kind of tinkering with something. But I liked it so much that I wanted to support the developer. And so I just went out and bought the VS code license just to support them, just so I can have it on VS code too. It's funny you say that I did the, I had the exact same thought process before, because uh, I also paid for like, you know, the Dracula pro theme. I've used all of those because, you know, I want to support these folks and I just love like, you know, messing around with themes and like, you know, fonts and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and yeah, eventually I think 
one of those days, and I had the same inkling as well. Material was good, but there was something about it. I don't, maybe it's the color combinations or just like, it felt a little, everything was standing out, right? And Monokai Pro, if I think that's how, it, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm also guessing, but that theme, uh, I think Monokai was one of the original, if it was uh, Sublime Text or someone, like I don't. Yeah, that's no, TextMate. Textmate. Oh, text, oh, yeah, Textmate, probably Textmate. So that's where it started. And so I was like, oh, that looks familiar. And then when I looked at the pro theme, I was like, this really looks good. And I did the same thing. I went, uh, I started using it in, in IntelliJ. I loved it. Um, and then I switched over uh, even like VS Code. That's the other thing I didn't tell you. Like, you know, it, this is almost like a hell froze over moment for me. <laughs> I actually switched to VS Code. <laughs> what? For what? For your from all of your Viv, development? Yeah. Oh yeah. For oh, my from non uh, you know, Android. Non Android? Yeah. Okay. My non-Android stuff. I used to use Vim. Like I was big on Vim, you know, and I still love Vim. It's it's pretty good, but I don't know what it is. Oh yeah. Uh this is also one of the other things we should talk about. Um I, you know, in we've released an episode in the past about being a polygod programmer. And one of the best advice, like, you know, I think you talked about that we've gotten from multiple people as well is every now and often, it's good to sort of learn a new programming language, um, especially if you're a developer, because it keeps your skills sharp. And it also forces your mind to not get pigeonholed in, you know, the language and like the approaches. Like, as an example, if you're always been a Java developer your life, you're going to start thinking in a very object-oriented programming kind of mental model, right? Uh, that's why it's good to like pick up scripting languages, just like all kinds of things. And I don't know if we've talked about this before, but I learned Go for some time. I think I mentioned that to you. Um, I redid my entire blog theme. Like, you know, Hugo is like this popular Jekyll-like thing. Uh, Jekyll was for Ruby. So like, yeah, Ruby was a language I loved before. I wanted to pick up a new thing. So, and this thing was blazing fast. So I tried Go and I also picked up Python and that's like how the story comes back in. So, you know, Python is another language just because, you know, a lot of these smart home accessories and a lot of these scripts use Python. It seems to be like the language that's most common. And I've dabbled with Python before, but um, I wanted to learn it properly to the point where I can actually write programs. You know, I can whip up an editor and write programs. And the thing I noticed is almost all of these programming languages have really nice extensions for VS Code. Because VS Code is, you know, arguably the most popular editor that uh, most folks use. And after a certain point, and I kept thinking about you because after a certain point, I'm like, look, why am I doing this to myself? Why am I trying to find Vim plugins that work halfway and then spend another like three hours trying to configure it just right? But in VS Code, it's just like, you know, command shift P or whatever it is, hit plugins, look for it. And, you know, boom, you get pretty much like the ideal working environment. So that's what it is. So like VS Code is what I use. Uh, so, you know, Monokai Pro works amazing there. I'm also curious, have you tried Fleet, IntelliJ's newest uh, sort of editor? No, I have not. Have you tried it? I did. Um, we, we'll, we, yeah, we'll, we'll keep that for another episode. But um, overall, I, I love it. I, I really like it. The only, yeah, well, the only thing is like, yeah, it's it's still early and it, I think it's in beta. It hasn't yet come out. It's blazing fast, which is what everyone wants from like IntelliJ IDs. Like, you know, that's the only gripe that a lot of people have. Super fast. Um, the extensions are not yet there though. Like, you know, because if you're looking for some semi-popular languages, like for example, I think Python maybe, 
maybe it was Python, I think, I, or some other common language. It's, yeah. it's not yet there, but the languages it does support, it's phenomenal. It's pretty good. Yeah. I found debugging to be a challenge in it with a few languages. And now I think that was, and these are going to be scripting languages. Like I didn't do Android in it. It was, you know, JavaScript or TypeScript. And now a lot of people I talk to have no problems doing debugging, but I found it to be challenging to get debugging to work in certain environments. And ultimately what made me go from, you know, I was doing a bunch of JavaScript development and VS Code, move from VS Code over to WebStorm was just, I tried everything in WebStorm and it just worked. And again, WebStorm is an IntelliJ ID. And I was like, you know what, forget about it. I'm just going to go to WebStorm because I want to focus on being productive. And I don't want to fight the tool. And I felt like I was fighting VS Code. Do you ever feel like you're fighting VS Code a little bit? It's funny. Uh, I don't exactly feel that, but I understand it because I do the same thing. When it comes to anything JavaScript, I, I have like, you know, one of those IntelliJ licenses. So I just use WebStorm, right? If there's an editor there, uh, I just straight up use it. The only, I think with VS Code, uh, it depends on the plugins and like the support of the language syntax. For example, I think on Python, debugging worked great uh, because I think Microsoft uses it pretty heavily and they have a plugin of the, uh, their own that they use. Uh, it's an extension. I forget what it is. We'll try to post a link. That works beautifully. So, you know, when I was using Python and debugging in Python, it worked great. I will say it is not the, exp you cannot go in expecting the experience that you get from IntelliJ editors because the debugging there is just perfect, right? Or maybe it's just biased from being used to it. But I will say it works pretty well. I mean, it was it worked well enough where I didn't even think twice about it on VS Code for Python. JavaScript, I mean, granted, I don't like, I know like the level that you work at with JavaScript is like way more you know, intensive than I do. So I've not felt the same. But again, I don't, if I was using any web sort of based thing, I would just move to WebStorm, which again, handles it pretty well. Yeah, that's what I'm, I've moved to WebStorm. I do a bunch of JavaScript and, and TypeScript now, but I'm gonna kind of go off the cuff here with this question for you in, um, which I think a lot of listeners are gonna find this very interesting. If most likely they probably, they're coders, they probably use VS Code anyway. What plugins do you use in VS Code that you're like, I cannot work without these? Ah, that's a good question. Let me see so if I can pull it yeah, up. I know you're, you're probably have to pull it up, so, but hey, that's uh. It's going to be useful. Yeah. Let's see. Extensions. Oh, wow. I have quite a few, actually. I didn't know <laughs> <laughs> uh, Okay. Let's see. I have Beautify, which is basically, I think, the one for like JSON, because I usually now end up opening JSON and other kinds of uh, formats like CSVs and all that stuff in it. Uh, I have this thing called Change Color Format. I, uh, I think that was for web development. It allows you to switch between hex code, H, S, L, RGB, and, you know, those oh. color things. Mm -hmm. uh, Hugo language and syntax support. Oh, fish syntax highlighting and formatting. So I have my fish extension here. That one lands up being super useful because, you know, it has a lot of like the, what do they call it? Snippets? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I have Kotlin, but I don't use it as much. I think that was me just messing around with it. Monokai Pro, of course. Uh, that one's pretty good. PyLance, that's the one. PyLance and Python, the extensions from Microsoft. Those are the big ones. SCSS, uh, some Vim stuff. VS Code NeoVim, that's the uh, yeah, that's another one I use. Oh, shell format, that's for like Docker files, you know, the all shell kind of files. Uh, SAS formatter, SCS format. Yeah, kind of boring stuff, but nothing out of the ordinary. Uh, 
I'm curious, yeah, what are your extensions? I'm sure because you've used VS Code probably for longer than me. Uh, maybe, I don't know. Um, I think one of the things I think that, and I'll tell you what mine are in a second, but one of the things I, that's, I think people, I don't know if they think about it, but I do, is that I think that VS Code, one of the great benefits of it is that you can configure it with these, it's very minimalistic. You can configure it to however you need to work. So if you're a Python developer that works with data science stuff, you can just install those tools and you don't need the HTML stuff or you don't need the Java stuff. Like you can add whatever you want. Like you have Python and stuff like that. And I got different stuff. So it's pretty cool. For me, um, one of my, my go-tos that I just can't live without is uh, GitLens. Which, oh, I don't think I know what that is. Um, which is awesome. I mean, it's got like, well, I'm looking here, 13 million installs. <laughs> it's oh, <insane>. wow. <laughs> it uh, basically gives you full like Git change support and diffs and everything inside of um, VS Code. It's awesome. Oh, sorry, um, a quick follow-up. Do you use VS Code's like Git thing on the left where they have the, uh, what do they call this? The source control tab. And do you use that or do you use Git Lens? Does Git Lens replace that? Uh, does it? You know, I've used this for so long. I'm not sure if it replaces it or not. I'd have to, I'd need to see if it does replace it. I don't know. Um, but I usually do click on that on the side just to see what's changed. I still do everything through the command line. I don't use any tools. I'm a huge Git command line person. Um, but I will use the GUI tools just so I can see like, oh, this line changed. Show me the diff of why it changed. You know oh, what I mean? Oh, yeah. Or can I do a, a blame? Like, wh why did this change? Who did it? Like, oh, I'm the idiot who changed that two months ago. You know, like one of those things, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm installing this right now. This looks pretty good. Because <laughs> I, I mean, I think we've mentioned this too before. I use the GitHub app to see the diffs. And this is more like when I'm scrolling through changes, it has like this interface um, I also use for most commits and like actual changes, I use the command line because I'm just so used to it at this point. But I do use the GitHub app to just surf changes to see like, you know, because it's just easier. You're scrolling and mouse clicking. Sounds like this might do the trick. Yeah, this has a lot of stuff that, um, uh, does, is there a Git lens layout? I guess there's a Git lens layout. I'm not in, the files I have open right now don't, are not in a Git repository. So I don't think the yeah, it looks like there's a Git Lens actual sidebar view that I don't see right now. So, but yeah, anyway, I use Git Lens. Awesome. Monokai Pro for the theme, of course, which is great. Um, I use Prettier, which is a code format, code formatter. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Rainbow CSV. This is to highlight CSV files because I was doing a lot of CSV file stuff. So it would like help me like view CSV files. Um, and then I just, I usually use VS Code for a lot of web development. And so I installed the uh, Tailwind CSS IntelliSense because I do a lot of web stuff with Tailwind CSS. And that's, uh, that's pretty much it. I'll, if I end up working or wanting to work with Python or Ruby, then I'll install those plugins. But if I don't, then I'll just kind of uninstall them just to keep it real snappy. And that's actually, you brought up Tailwind CSS. I've also done, like, I mean, I started my career as a front-end sort of, you know, web developer. I've actually not used Tailwind because I'm a hardcore old school SCSS because I've written CSS frameworks. So I, I do want to talk to you about because I know I saw you uh, mention it and it sort of quadruples your speed in terms of like just building and styling, right? That's another episode. That's a future episode for sure. But I do want to talk to you about uh, Tailwind. Yeah, the, the interesting thing with that is that, you know, we'll get into that in another episode, but the, at a quick elevator thing of why I use it, it's I've used Bootstrap. I've used, you know, all these different frameworks before. And, you know, I'll get a theme uh, for an application I'm building and I'll apply the theme. And then all of a sudden I'll need to move a button a little bit to the left or I need to add some padding because it's against there. <laughs> and 
I'm trying to find out where to do that. Or if I change something, the whole application breaks. And I'm just like, what the heck? I'm like, I just want to throw the computer out the window. And with Tailwind, it's just all these utility classes, which is why a lot of people don't like it. Um, so it's very chatty inside of the HTML, but I can just open the HTML. Like, oh, I need this, you know, two rims to the left. And it's like, all right, you know, margin top two. And then boop, it's done. And I just move on with my day. So it's, yeah, we can talk about it in another episode, but it's, it's a, uh, it's a learning curve, like anything, but once you kind of get it, like, and you understand how everything works, you can be very productive. Perfect. Perfect. I, I've added that into our topics because I definitely want to talk to you about that. I feel like I'm super curious. Yeah. There's, there's a lot, a lot of cool stuff we can do with that. So, um, but yeah, my code VS code stuff is, uh, very slim, but I'm enjoying it a lot more now that I have Monokai pro. So if you're looking for a new theme, highly recommend checking that out. Nice, nice, nice. So I guess we should transition into like what you've been up to. And I think we can call it with that and just let folks know like some of the interesting things that we've been working on, uh, you know, in our own uh, work lives. And because and the reason we mentioned that is because, you know, the topics are going to dovetail around that. And, you know, we're going to have like a lot of interesting things around that. So, um, yeah, well, you, do you want to kick it off? What have you been up to? Yeah, so I haven't really talked about this in public at all. But for the last couple of years, actually, uh, I have been working with Yale University as one of my main clients, and I've been building out a custom research uh, platform for their scientists and researchers to research um, pathogens and anything that matter. It could be x-rays. Uh, you know, we have researchers and, and people studying why certain stomach scans and with, uh, you know, AI and ML to figure out the run through this processor that, hey, if we take an x-ray of someone's stomach for maybe they have stomach aches, it runs through it and says, oh, hey, we found this weird thing that the machine found. And so this research platform is something I've been spending a lot of time on. And that's that's wrapping up very soon. Sounds but, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's um it's not written in, you know, it's not an Android app. It's, you know, it's web, it's Docker, it's Kubernetes, it's written in JavaScript, TypeScript, uh, Express is the back end, API, uh, the front end is React. It's um there's all, you know, there's multiple, uh, it scales out. We use RabbitMQ. We have multiple, you know, Python all over the place, tons of Python. Uh, but that's been the main kind of thing that, uh, that I have uh, focused on, I guess you would say for client work. But on the outside of that, I have built, you know, I've been still working with Android as usual. And just recently, I uh, released something called uh, Jumpstart Android, uh, which is the Android implementation of Jumpstart Rails. Jumpstart Rails is a SaaS template. So if you're wanting to start a SaaS company, software as a service, a lot of times you have to build all the logins and the billing and the customer, all the just plumbing to just get the product off the ground. And Jumpstart Rails, which is created by Chris Oliver, who's also the host of um, uh, Remote Ruby, he um, he built all that. And I, I was a, actually a customer and I was like, wow, I love this. And then um, I was... I was talking to him and he's like, yeah, I'm looking for someone to do the Android implementation of it, which is we've, um, I've had Jay Ohms on the podcast, you know, a number of episodes ago to talk about Android Turbo, which is what, hey, the email application uses. It's actually almost all HTML web views. And then there are certain parts that are native views uh, where you want them, where it's needed, which is kind of the best of both worlds, in my opinion. It's a full native app, but hey, when you don't need it, you delegate back down to the web. And so that's what I built. I built the Android implementation of Jumpstart Rails. So people, if they want to build their SaaS app, they can use the Rails version. And if, as soon as they want an Android version, they can purchase the Android version, which is just basically creates a mobile app around that with some 
uh, Jetpack Compose views and Android architecture components and dependency injection set up. Tests are already written for you. So you can kind of just start and start building your app and you have a good foundation. And then, of course, there's also the iOS version written by Joe uh, Mazzoletti. And so that's that. And then the last piece that I've been working, spending a lot of time on is uh, actually a SaaS app that I've been working on. It's called Stoa. And Stoa is a platform for community creators. And so if you have, let's say you're a photographer and you have a huge YouTube following and you want to monetize that community, um, of course, you can do something like Facebook groups and then create some Stripe page. I mean, a lot of management there goes involved. So this platform basically handles all that for you. So it'll be hosted on its, you know, its own servers. Uh, it's private to your community, has building everything built in, looks I mean, acts very similar to Facebook groups, um, but I have the concept of spaces, um, which are kind of like forums uh, that can be nested. Uh, you have users, everyone has profiles, and it's just to build a community. And just recently, this last week, I just launched the first version of that to my own community. Uh, called Freelance Faction, um, which is currently invite only. And um, people are currently in there talking as we sit here now about freelancing. And um, that's actually running on my own platform. So the goal with that was to dog food my own product. Um, I want to make sure that it works. And I work out all the bugs with my own my own community, my own set of users before I go release it to someone else. Uh, and I don't want them to be inundated with issues. So Got a lot going on, but that's what I've been working on. Wow, that's <laughs> that's a lot of stuff. That's that's amazing. Uh, I expected nothing less from you. <laughs> <laughs> but what about you, man? Yeah, so I mean, like I said, uh, I mentioned like the whole Polygon programmer thing. So on the side, you know, I picked up Golang, I picked up Python, and I picked it up well enough where. And my way of doing this is like, you know, I would pick some of like those, you know, those stupid questions that they ask during interviews, like, you know, just some basic algorithm questions, nothing too fancy, just like, you know, hey, how would you take this word and iterate through it or like, you know, reverse the thing, you know, those kind of things. And I just like punch out some of these like uh, code snippets on them, you know, just get familiar with the language enough where I can actually write and do something with it. So that's something I've been uh, on the side less to do with programming. Uh, I think I told you this, I actually moved homes. So yeah, how'd uh, that go? Oh, I mean, moving homes is, a, I wish I could say it was good, but it's a big pain. It is a big pain in the rear. Um, that being said, I finally sort of moved. And so that was exciting. The part that got me excited more about that was it was an opportunity for me to use a lot of like smart home things. And that's actually why I picked up Python after that. Cause I was like, huh, a lot of these Alexa integrations and, you know, just Raspberry Pi sort of like work. Python seems to be the language that a lot of people use. So I was like, hey, this is great. This is another opportunity. So I've been messing around with a lot of that. Um, maybe in a future uh, episode, I can talk about it. I even went into the physical world because uh, this house had phone cables wired throughout all the rooms. Uh, but I obviously wanted to change those to like, you know, Ethernet cables so I can actually have wired LAN in almost every room. Um, and so I did a lot of that stuff. So I actually learned how to crimp, you know, crimp cables. Oh, you did it yourself? Yeah, yeah I did it myself. Uh, you know, I... I you got a new career. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm just I know. cable runner. I'm just I will say I kind of like software development more. <laughs> but I yeah. mean, it's just nice. It's just like, you know, it gives you that tangible, like hard, like feel for like hardware. You sort of understand how things work. Uh, you know, I set up my own like routing, network gateways and all that stuff. So, I mean, it's, you know, uh, that stuff kept me busy and, you know, it was interesting. It was a 
a pleasant sort of uh, break from the software side of things. But I think the big update for me is, um, as folks probably know, I work at Instacart. I've been working uh, at Instacart for some time. Instacart, semi-recently, probably about four months back, acquired uh, this startup called Caper. And uh, their website is caper.ai. And what they do is they build smart carts. So most folks are probably have heard in the news, you know, Amazon Go stores, like, you know, the Amazon Goification, where you just enter in and there's like hardly any employees, everything just like, you know, with cameras and sensors and magic. How does that work? Do you even know? Like, I've never been in them, but how does that work? They say you don't have to pay. You just take it and it's like, all right, it'll charge you. I'm like, how does it know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I I know more about that now than I did before because of Caper. But uh, yeah, so the gist is... Amazon fits this entire store with sensors. And I mean sensors everywhere, right? So they have like cameras monitoring like items. Each rack is also very specifically designed. And those racks have like pressure sensors. So they know the weight of items. And, you know, if you pick one versus two. And as you keep like picking, like they sort of build this internally, um, which is also why with Amazon Go, they have a very specific set of items. Like you won't find the entire set, but they have like, they, I think they pick like the most useful things that are there and the most fast moving uh, stuff. Um, and all of that is, yeah, so they keep track of that. And the way it works is as you're exiting out, like it, you need to have an Amazon account, obviously. Uh, it's it's It tallies all of that as you start picking, you know, like the items through. And as you exit out, you just have like a small checkout kind of thing, like on your phone. So it'll pop it up saying, hey, these are the items. And uh, if yes, hit yes to confirm. You double tap to pay or whatever you uh, you do. That experience is, yeah, changes a little. I feel like, you know, they keep iterating that, but that's it. Like, you know, you just, you look at your phone, you're like, yeah, that looks good. You hit uh, confirm and then just walk out of the store. And they have like, uh, you know, they obviously have at the store, they have like this entry thing and like it runs by your phone. So when you enter, you need to scan like a QR code or something. So that's how they know which Amazon account uh, to charge it on. And when you walk out, you just like, when you confirm, they just charge that amount and just walk out. That's interesting. So how does this, so you know a lot more about this then. Is this, is this kind of what Caper does or what does Caper do? Yeah. So Caper takes a very different approach. They go with the approach where like, hey, obviously building these Amazon Go stores is expensive because you're talking about sensors and like this entire ecosystem and it works only with Amazon. Caper is really cool because Caper takes the idea saying like, how how can you package that into something that you can deploy in all stores, right? So instead, what they did is they actually have a smart cart. So like, you know, the shopping cart and that cart essentially has sensors fitted in it. So every time you pick an item, you know, you can just pick it from a regular store. Like, you know, you go to a Safeway or a Kroger or like one of these other stores, pick it out of the shelf. But as you drop it into the cart, it has sensors, so the cam- there's like cameras, there's barcode scanners and all of those in the cart. So as you just drop it in the cart, it sort of picks up that item and then it shows you basically, there's like a small panel on the cart. It basically shows you those items. And it's it's super cool technology. Obviously, there's a lot of machine learning because like, you know, it's all, it's doing image recognition, right? So you can throw any item that would fit inside a cart and it will like, yeah, it'll detect it and it'll do that. So, you know, this is like, I'm, I'm looking at the image right now on caper.ai, like looking at the, the the video and I see the cart and it just kind of hit me like, this is kind of a game changer because now it, it's almost like 
if I don't even know how much something is, I can just put it in the cart and it'll tell me. Oh, yeah. And there's like way more cooler things you can do. Like, you know, that's definitely one aspect, which is like, hey, I just put it in the cart, you pick it out and then you're like, ah, it's like a little expensive. Like, forget this. I'm not taking this item. You can put it back in the shelf, right? But you can also do things where on the panel, like based on the item you put, you can say, hey, there are promotions here, right? Like you can like add this, like go to this part of the store, pick this item and you get a promotion. It, it actually makes the shopping experience more useful. And the beauty is like you put everything in the cart. And once you're done, you pull out your phone and you use like whatever, Google Pay, or Apple Pay. Uh, I think it's Google Pay. But you use it on that cart itself. Mm-hmm. And you're done. You're check- you've checked out. You just put it back in your cart and you just you know, leave the store. You don't have to stand in line. You don't have to do any of these things. So it is pretty cool. Um, so this is the company that obviously I work at Instacart. Instacart does groceries. And so this is Instacart's pitch, which is like, hey, we want to help all stores with all kinds of demands, not just through like, you know, the Instacart marketplace. Uh, And so they acquired this company four months back and they're doing amazing cool stuff. Now, here's the thing that gets even more interesting. You know, that panel I talked about on the carts? Yeah, yeah. That's all Android. It's all completely Android. That's awesome. You know what? The more and more I see stuff out there, the more and more I see Android everywhere. I went to a a Chick-fil-A just opened down the street from my house and they have these huge LCD panels where you like, like you can go change, like they're always updating the menu and there was an error on it the other day. And I look, I'm like, that's Android. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Whoa. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Uh, and if it's not, I'd be very surprised, but everything on that error message looked like it was an Android panel. And I was like, holy cow. And I see that more and more all over the place. So that's actually amazing that you guys uh, are running Android. I'm sure you can't talk too much about it or maybe you can't, I don't know, but I'd be interested to learn more about it in future episodes to see how you guys are doing that. Is it like a custom oh, ROM sure. or yeah. what? Or it's yeah, yeah, cool for stuff. sure. I'm, I can gladly share like a lot of the information, you know, obviously without <laughs> too many of the internals, but yeah, so that's one product. And they also have a counter product, which is like, you know, that's one that most folks have seen. It's like the smart checkout, like, you know, the self checkout, you just go in, uh, but it obviously is smarter than what you usually find at stores. Cause you can just I you just put the item there, it'll just scan and it'll do all of those things. So those are two products that they have. And because it runs Android, you know, I was super interested. So that's the team that I actually moved towards. And I'm like, you know, helping their Android teams, you know. That's awesome, man. That's cool. Congratulations on the new adventure over there. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And it's super exciting just because it's Android and you know, you it's a different world because you're working with hardware and it it adds that much more of that joy right because it's like tangible you like you you push code and you can actually see things change in like this physical device right in front of you yeah. and i think this i mean i did this at point when i helped with the payment terminal i helped build the payment terminal which is which is interesting because i i went to like this recent like this himalayan salt float around here like to just check it out one time uh, i got something on groupon there and i walked in and i was i checked out the pay and they turned like she turns the terminal on it. It was the terminal that I worked on. And like, it's still, <laughs> it was still running like what looked like exactly the app that I built. And I was like, oh my goodness, whoa. But what I'm getting at here is it's interesting when you are able to work on a device where the only apps that really run on it are your apps or like your company's apps. It's amazing like how much performance you can squeeze out of far less, you know, um, so I guess, you know, not as performant devices. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. You know, because there's a flurry of APIs that you don't need, right? Like, you know, sometimes if it's like, I don't care about like, you know, location, you know, those radios can be all like removed and you're only using like the most basic parts that help your specific use case. 
it can be yeah you'd be very yeah you're right you're just absolutely right you'd be very surprised how much you can how much performance you can eke out of not terribly you know expensive devices yeah a lot of and those that, Android devices and those ones i mean especially when you're on your own you know devices like that you the you know battery size can be improved um and furthermore it's like you don't have to worry like hey is there is the user running a bunch of social media apps on here they're going to consume a bunch of the the bandwidth or you know the resources like you're able to i mean you still need to be careful with what you're doing but it's just a different experience because you're just coding for one particular platform and especially for you you have to, you don't a lot of times you don't have to worry about like 87,000 different screen sizes oh, <laughs> oh yeah nice. absolutely it's just this three devices one. right you, <laughs> it makes the development experience a joy in some aspects yeah for sure Yeah, that's very cool, man. I'm interested to learn more about this as you you progress on this. How long have you been on that team now? Uh, 3 weeks. <laughs> so super recent. I you know what? I I'll be more than happy like you know, folks are interested. I'm be more than happy to, you know, bring some of my colleagues like super smart guys like who know way more about this. I'll have them on and we can pepper them with questions for sure. That'd be cool. I think it's an, I think that would be fun to kind of learn about like, all right, almost like the origin story like, all right, So you decided to build this, all right? And what made you use Android and what, you know, what were your challenges? Like these are very cool things to kind of hear like how it was works working. And then in my for me at least, this is what I like about it is when I go say I hear a podcast like that and then I walk into a store and I see that and I'm like, "Oh my goodness, I know all this stuff about this cool thing that runs this." I might tell my friends that and they're like, "Who cares? It's a shopping cart." <laughs> to me it's cool, you know. <laughs> Right. Oh, for sure, for sure. When you know how something works, it makes it so much more intriguing. That's cool, man. So, that's awesome. Are you uh is that still based in in California or you're remote or how does that work? Uh I am remote, but they're actually up your side of uh up your neck of the woods. They're in New York uh, uh, closer to Jersey. I know it's not the same as in New York, but yeah, they're there. So, East Coast. So, yeah. So if I come down there, you know, we can try to see if we can do one of our live episodes. Oh, yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be great. It's been a while. Um yeah, so that's like the stuff that I've been up to. That's cool, man. That's awesome. It's I'm excited to hear more about this. So it's that's one of the cool things about the Android ecosystem is it it's open enough that where it can be used on all different types of devices and platforms and I think that we're still in the very beginning phases of a lot of this stuff and it's just going to continually get better and in the future i would be surprised if we didn't start seeing i would be surprised in the future if we didn't start seeing google come out with very stripped down versions of android and saying like all right here's like the core android core and android core just has all of your basic necessities we're not going to install any garbage on it like it's just boom here's what we want now you can take with it and go build platforms with it I wonder like yeah if they make a similar play of it like what is it uh, fuchsia or something you know I, I haven't heard well interestingly Google IO is announced right so it'll be uh, nice to see what comes up this time in IO but yeah I wonder if like you know they're maybe using fuchsia as this mechanism of like adding a different dimension because people keep saying oh like does this mean this is the death of android like no like android is not going anywhere <laughs> you know that is like the you know for, at least for a long perceivable time there is so many use cases that it would be like almost irresponsible uh, to do something like that but it yeah it'll be an evolu- evolution you know maybe if future uh, picks up maybe you know people start going there like or you know maybe it's just like uh, meant for this sort of uh, 
specific use case. And I actually kind of like your idea where it's like, hey, this is the very core stripped down version, almost like, uh, well, I know it's not the same, but like, you know, the Raspberry Pi of sort of like, you know, just have the basic things and then you can tack on as and when you need it. I like that idea a lot. Yeah, I can see him doing that. So yeah, I don't think Android's going anywhere. I get asked that question all the time. And in fact, I get run up the flagpole all the time because I'm a big proponent of web and cross-platform technologies. And for the most part, for certain use cases, but you know, even now I'm doing a lot of stuff with Android Turbo. To me right now, that feels like the best of both worlds because I can write Compose or I can write XML views. And at the same time, if I want to delegate down to the web for an about page or some other random screen, I can. Um, so what I'm trying to say is that, yeah, Android is is not going anywhere. I think what most people need to think about is it, it's an operating system and that's what it's going to be. And now that operating system might run a Flutter app, but it's still an app. I mean, if we think about it, it's a game is just a C, you know, C language written and compiled down to bi- you know, binary. So it's just an operating system that runs code. And I think it's just going to, as it continues to grow, it's not going to go anywhere. It's just going to continue to get bigger. Yeah. And speaking of which, again, I'm super curious about like your turbo adventure, which, you know, I, I can't wait for the next episode <laughs> myself so we can talk about this stuff. Um, another interesting thing is React Native sort of has, well, I, I don't know if it's a comeback, but it's definitely, you know, uh, there's Echo, which is like this newer framework that's gotten a little steam. So that's one of the, like, we're looking into that and like pro- possibly getting like, you know, a guest who knows a lot about this, who's going to speak to this. It's going to be fun. Uh, yeah, just a lot of exciting stuff uh, in the pipeline. Yeah, I'm excited for the future episodes. Uh, between that, uh, future interviews we got. Glad to be back, man. Glad to have you. Glad to have you back on the other side of the phone here. And likewise, I am excited to chat with you again about these things. Cool. Well, I think that's about it for today's episode. Would you agree? I agree. That's it for the show, folks. Catch you all in the next episode. Everybody, thanks for tuning into this episode. We really appreciate it. Before we get going, wanted to let you know that we do share additional content that's not on this actual podcast. For example, I talk about software development and freelancing over on my YouTube channel, and that's at donfelker.com slash YouTube. And Kaushik recently started the channel, and he's going to be talking about hardware, software, programming, and much, much more. And you could check him out over at y.jkl.gg. Thanks again, folks. We hope to see you over there and we'll catch you soon. That's it for the show, folks. Fragmented is hosted by Don Felker and me, Kaushik Gopal. We edit and produce all the episodes here on Fragmented. You can find more Fragmented episodes at fragmentedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening and we will catch you in the next episode.